are preaching, which you receive, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, that it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so they preach and so they believe. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to the first Sunday of spring. Uh, it's wonderful to, to see you all at church. Um, and uh, whether you're here physically or joining us on Zoom, uh, it's great to have you us. As blind as a bat, um, but I can see a few uh, new friends joining us today. today. So if this is your first time, uh, special welcome to you. And I uh, hope uh, uh, after the formal part of our uh, gathering ends, uh, you can stick around for some morning tea and uh, get to know some of us. But it would be great if you can have uh, that second Bible passage that was just read out for us in front of you. Says a little bit more closely, uh, but before uh, I do that, uh, I'm going to pray and ask God that He will help us this morning to understand things in case we pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gathering us together uh, this morning to hear your word. Uh, we thank you that you are a God who is not uh, mute or dumb, uh, but you speak to us powerfully. Please speak to us today, and we ask that your spirit will help us uh, to understand and to take to heart the things that we hear from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, have you ever been to the emergency department in a hospital? Hands up if you've been to an emergency department in a hospital. Uh, most of us have been. Uh, you know, you may have been sick, uh, perhaps it was in the middle of the night and nothing was open, and so you have to take yourself or your children to the emergency department, and uh, you know what happens, they ask you a few questions, and if it's not very serious, you have to wait in the waiting room for what seems like hours uh, before uh, they send somebody to look at you. However, there are occasions when the hospital will issue what is called a Code blue. Uh, has anyone heard that term before? A code blue in hospital? Yep. Um, a code blue is when a person is brought in with something that is life threatening. Uh, perhaps it's a heart attack, perhaps it's a serious motor accident. But when somebody's life is on the line, the hospital will issue a code blue so that the doctors and nurses will know to drop everything because 
this is priority. Now, this is a matter of first importance because lives are at stake. Now, for those who are joining us for the first time today, uh, the Bible passage we have in front of us comes from one of the final chapters in a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who was a follower of Jesus. And uh, he, he's writing here to um, a small group of Christians in the Greek city of Corinth. And uh, I want to suggest that chapter 15 is a bit like Paul issuing a code blue to the church at Corinth. That is, Paul wants the people in Corinth to pay careful attention to what he has to say because this is a life and death thing. Their lives, their very lives, were in danger. Why were their lives in danger? Well, their lives were in danger because, as we will see, they were slowly starting to move away from the Christian message, which really is a message that can save your soul. We've seen in previous weeks they were, that they were moving away from the Christian message in the way they were living and behaving. And uh, next week we'll see that they were moving away from the Christian message uh, by not believing in some of the core things of the Christian message. You see, the claim of God in the Bible is that the Christian message is something that can save your very soul for all eternity. And the Christians in Corinth were in grave danger because they were moving away from it. Uh, that's why, if you have a look at the passage that's in front of you, uh, come with me to the little um, figure three that you see there. Uh, uh, that's verse three. And uh, in verse three, you'll see there that Paul speaks about the Christian message as a matter of first importance. Can you see that? Well, the Christian message is not a trivial thing. It's a life and death thing. What is the state of your soul? You know, we all will one day die physically. But the Bible speaks about the reality of an eternal life after death. Where will you be in this life? Where will you spend what is the state of your soul? This is a matter of first importance. Now, as you have a look at the passage, uh, you can see that Paul reminds the, Christ, the Corinthian Christians of uh, this, this message, this Christian message, which he calls the gospel. And he reminds them of this precisely because he's concerned they are moving away from it. You can see the word gospel uh, there in verse 1, don't you? Uh, it's a word that means uh, the announcement of good news, and many of you are familiar with uh, that meaning. But it's not the kind of good news that is you know, trivial. Um, Oscar, when he hears about um, what is it, the chips or whatever it is, uh, you know, that seems like good news to him. But it's not that kind of good news, because this is the kind of good news that will change your life forever. It would be a bit like if you wake up tomorrow morning and 
you see on the, the news on morning television that a cure has been found, has been found for COVID. This will change your life and the lives of billions of people around this world for the better. It's good news of that sort of magnitude, you see. But how did this gospel come to benefit the Corinthian Christians? Uh, we can see there in verse 1 that the gospel was brought to them but, uh, by the Apostle Paul who announced this good news to, to them. He preached this good news to them. But it only benefited them because they received the gospel, you see. Um, if a cure is done for COVID, yes, it is good news. But, if you, if, but it will only benefit if you go to a GP and you receive whatever is being offered at that point, if you trust this good news, that the gospel is something to be received. But further, notice what exactly this gospel brings. Uh, in verse 2, you can see that Paul uses the language of salvation. He says that the Corinthians are being saved. That is, they are now on a path to being saved on the last day when they will all be brought before the judgment seat of God where they will have to give an account of their lives. Now, uh, when the Bible speaks about salvation, uh, it's very, very important to be clear about what it is speaking about. I mean, what are we saved from exactly? You know, these days, many people speak about the need to be saved from all sorts of things, don't they? Uh, we speak about the need to be saved from the climate. Uh, we need to be saved from uh, boredom. Uh, some people even speak about being saved from yourself because you don't quite trust yourself uh, to do the right things. Now, these are not all trivial things, of course. But when the Bible speaks about being saved, it's speaking about the far weightier thing of being saved from the judgment of God for your sin and for my sin. What is sin? Well, uh, sin is not just bad things that we do. You know, uh, we often uh, talk about sin in that way in our world, don't we? Uh, or it's not things like eating too much chocolate. You know, we say, uh, you know, that's a sinful thing. Now, it's because our world has trivialized sin in this way that the judgment of God seems unnecessarily harsh. But sin in the Bible is the terrible reality of people like you and me turning our backs on the God who made us, thinking we don't need Him in our lives, thinking, you know, we can just live our lives without Him, making our own decisions in our own wisdom, because we want to be the God of our own That's what sin is. And so God says that a day will come when He will judge and condemn those who continue to reject Him. Not because the God of the Bible takes delight in judgment and condemnation of sinners, but because He will not allow those who reject Him to continue making a mess of His 
want God to bring judgment, to fix all that is wrong in this world and man. But they don't want God to judge them. But it's kind of things both ways, can you? If you want the judgment of God, you are actually inviting him to judge you and to judge me. Exactly what the gospel is, don't you? 
this earth, firstly, notice that the gospel is all about what Christ has done. It's all about what Christ has done. Uh, Christ, uh, if you are not aware, uh, is not Jesus in a survey. Uh, you know, if you, uh, many people uh, think that if you, were write, if, if you were to write a letter to Jesus uh, on the Bible, you would write Mr. J. Christ. That's what, you know, that was his surname. But no, but the word Christ is actually a title uh, that uh, is very common in the Old Testament part of the Bible, which simply means God's King, God's Messiah, the one He has promised will come into this world as a Savior. But can you see that this gospel is all about what He has done, what Christ has done in verse 3? Christ died for our sins, it says. In verse 4, He was buried. Again in verse 4, He was raised on the third day. In verse 5, He appeared. You see, Christ is the subject of all the verbs here because the gospel is essentially about what He has done for us rather than what we can do for Him or for ourselves. Friends, this is the huge difference between Christianity and all the other religions of this world. For every other religion in this world, it's about the things that you need to do in order to earn salvation from God, isn't it? No wonder religion is a burdensome, burdensome thing. Because how can you ever know whether you have done enough? in order to earn that salvation from God. It's true, even of those who are not religious. You see, the secular world will tell you to look within yourself. Have you ever heard people say that? You need to look within yourself. And if you look within yourself, you will find a hero who will be able to save you however you want to define salvation. And yet, isn't it interesting that a generation of people in this world who have been told over and over and over again that if you look within yourself, you'll find a hero that can save you from all your ills are the most depressed and the most medicated and the most hopeless generation that the world has ever seen. seen. Because they simply cannot live with this burden. Is that true? And yet the Christian gospel is wonderfully different to what God says is, I know what you are really like. I know that you are not strong. I know that you are broken inside. I know that you are sinful unable to save yourselves, which is why I have sent the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so don't look within yourself. Look outside of yourself. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ for He can save you. You see, um, the commonly used phrase these days is that the gospel is not good advice. 
truth. The Bible doesn't advise us about how to be better people. The Bible says much of the same. But secondly, notice that the gospel is all about the death and resurrection of his name. And you see, these are the two things I think Paul highlights in these verses. Because uh, if you have a look at verse 3 and verse 4, uh, can you see that it is only the death and the resurrection of Jesus uh, which Paul um, puts an appendage to, which says that these things happened in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus rose again in accordance with the scriptures. Now, Paul is talking here about the Old Testament part of the Bible, which was written hundreds of years before the birth of, of, of Jesus. But do you see what he's saying? He's saying that the death and resurrection of Jesus is not just an accident of history, but it's something that God has been speaking about. Because this is part of God's plans. It always has been part of God's plans to send the Savior into this world. We can save people right here again. Now, what is the significance of these things? Why does it matter that Jesus died and then was raised? On the third day, well, you can see there in verse three that it's not just that Christ died; rather, it's the fact that He died for our sins. That is the good news. That is, we've just seen how we that our greatest need, your greatest need, my greatest need, is to be saved from God's judgment for sin. And what is the good news tell, tell us, well, it says that Christ died for our sins. That when he died on that cross over 2,000 years ago, what he was doing was he was dying in your place and my place, taking the penalty that uh, you and I deserve for our sin so that we might be forgiven, so that we can have a fresh start. But it's not just that Christ died for our sins. For what good is a Savior who is dead and rotting in the ground? Rather, it's the fact that Christ was also raised to life on the third day. What is the significance of all this? Well, Christ being raised on the third day is the thing that shows that his death has been effective for us. It is the guarantee that if you have received this gospel, then your sins and my sins have been paid for in full. And God is now no longer angry with you. Now, you know, tonight for Father's Day, uh, I'm going to order some takeaway on Uber. And uh, if you order online, what do they do? Well, they send you a receipt. Why do they send you that receipt? Well, it's so that I can take that receipt and go into the shop and say that my fried chicken has been paid for in full. Yes, sir. That's a bit like what Paul is saying here. The resurrection of Jesus is like that receipt that guarantees that if you have received the gospel, your sins. My sins have been paid for in full. Nothing left to pay. 
somebody else has paid for it. So that you can know that your life is safe with God. And here's this, my friends. I've noticed that the Apostle Paul seems very interested in showing that this death and this resurrection of Jesus was real. I think that's why in verse 3, after he says, Christ died for our sins, he also says that he was also buried. Did you notice that? You see, you don't bury a person unless he is really dead. So I want you to see that after Paul says that Christ was raised on the third day, he says in verse 5 that he appeared to many, many people. You can see there that he appears to Kephas, which is a name, another name for the Apostle Peter, as well as the twelve who were Jesus' inner circle of friends, as well as to more than 500 brothers at one time. That's more than five times the number of people in this room, as well as to James, who was Jesus' brother, as well as to all the other apostles who seem to be a larger group than the twelve. You see, Paul has nothing to hide at this point. It's not like he's making this stuff up and he's trying to hide the reality of what has just happened. He's saying, if you want proof, you can go to all these people who are still alive at the time of writing and they will all tell you what they saw and what they heard and what they touched of the Lord Jesus Christ after his death. For they are all eyewitnesses that Jesus really is the Christ because he really did come back from the dead. And if Jesus really did come back from the dead, then it means that those who receive the gospel don't, are not living in fantasy land, but they also have a real and solid hope. As a Christian pastor, uh, I take funerals. And it's interesting when I take uh, funerals of unbelievers. Uh, often, uh, when I speak to the family uh, of the dead person, who uh, often themselves are unbelievers, uh, they, they think that when I speak to them about the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's all fair to them. Now I'll tell them, Jesus died for your sins. He rose again. Please receive the gospel. But they will often politely say to me that, no, it's good that you believe in that kind of thing, but, you know, I'm a rational person, and uh, I don't want to believe in fairy tales like that. But you see, friends, these are the very same people often get up at funerals and say things about the dead person like, I'm sure he's in heaven, playing golf, drinking beer, and soaking in a victory, and having the time of his life. And I think to myself, well, who is believing in fairy tales at this point? The next time you go to the I want you to notice the huge difference. The 
is not a Christian that grieves the loss of loved ones. For death here is described as a great enemy that separates us from the people that we love. It's just that Christian people have this real and solid hope that because Jesus was really raised from the dead, those who receive him will also one day rise from the dead to live forever with God. If you prove that Christ never was raised from the dead, then you have also proven the Christian faith to be very sad, as Paul later goes on to say in this chapter. But if Christ really has been raised from the dead, what have you done to see him today? You can either receive him and find the, the solid hope of eternal life, or you can reject him and meet him as the judge on the last day. And so, do you have this real and solid hope? Do you really believe that Christ died for your sin and rose from the grave to grant you eternal life? That is what is at stake in this message. Now, friends, in the final part of our passage this morning, Paul gives us some autobiographical information. You can see it there from verse 8 onwards, that Paul speaks a lot about himself. But why does Paul give us this autobiography? Well, if you have a look closely, uh, I think we are given a bit of a clue in what Paul says about the grace of God. And you can see that Paul speaks about the grace of God at the beginning of verse 10, uh, as well as the end of verse 10. The word grace, uh, if, if you uh, are unaware, uh, simply means undeserved pleasure. It's about receiving what we don't deserve. But what exactly did Paul receive by God's grace? Uh, when he says in verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am, what is he talking about? What has he become by the grace of God? Well, on the one hand, he may simply be saying that by God's grace, he has become a Christian person. He's saved by God. That's why he, he, he gives some of his life detail, perhaps. So you can see there in verse 9 that Paul uh, is humble because he knows that in his former life, he was an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, persecuting his church. Some of you will know that Paul was the one who so hated Jesus he murdered his followers. And yet, by God's grace, the resurrected Christ appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road so that Paul miraculously becomes a follower of Jesus. He might simply be saying, by God's grace, I become a Christian. However, on the other hand, I think Paul is saying much, much more here. For when Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's not saying he's now become a Christian person, however true that might be. 
he's saying that by the grace of God, he is one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. He has been commissioned by God himself as an apostle to take this gospel message to the world. Uh, some of you might know I have a family heirloom which um, I tragically lost. Um, it's uh, an ancient bronze medal uh, that they used to have in Korea. Uh, you may have seen uh, these medals before, but uh, they have uh, pictures of horses on them. Sit on the fence 
Jesus, we thank you that he really did die for our sins and that he really did rise from the dead to give us hope of eternal life. We thank you for this message and we pray that you will help us not to swerve from it or to reject it, but to continue receiving joyfully, holding fast to it as a matter of first thing. 